Welcome to The Take, where I sit down with artists, filmmakers, and world-class racketeers. We talk about story, life in the biz, and what it all means. Today, I sit down with writer Mitch Klebanoff. Mitch wrote one of my favorite movies of all time, Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley. It was awesome to be able to sit down with Mitch and talk about his writing process for Beverly Hills Ninja, the filming of Beverly Hills Ninja, his interactions with Chris Farley, as well as the development process for his other projects. The Jersey, a TV show that was on the Disney Channel, Disorderlies, and we talk about all his upcoming projects. Without further ado, I give you Mitch Klebanoff. Where were we? Well, well, well thanks Where were for, we? yeah, thanks for coming on. All you people out there, you've missed the entire first hour of this conversation. Yeah, the best part. We'll <laughs> yeah. try to recreate now it. Now I'm totally... It's like, all going to be acting I'm now. I'm tired. And it's all <laughs> yeah. Like, so uh, where were we? I don't remember where we were, actually. So um, well, let's just start over. Start so yeah. you... I, well, I think I was just saying to you that you wrote one of my favorite films of all time, Beverly Hills Ninja. Much appreciated. And it's like, you know, I... um. There's only a couple films that I can remember when I was a kid where I laughed so hard I was in pain. Like actual <laughs> physical pain. I remember twice because I remember my parents were having a dinner party and my brother and I were uh, in their bedroom upstairs and we rented Beverly Hills Ninja. And I remember laughing so hard I fell off the bed. Well, and that like, was our goal. That, that was your goal. We kept on acting it out until one of us fell off the bed. <laughs> yeah, you just had a bed on set in the... Yeah. In the... Not, not on set. On This is just in the writing part. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, we did act out a lot of the stuff before it, anyone ever saw it. I mean, not that I feel my... I'm not a physical comedian. Mm-hmm. I'm not a comedian. I don't do stand-up, any of that stuff. But we do act it out. I mean, it's all... It's not in the brain necessarily only. I would think, especially in like a, a very physically co- comedy yeah. movie like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly how much his actual movements correlated to the movements we put in the script because mm-hmm. he created his own, of course. But whatever was the moments that were there to be physical comedy were all created to be paced for physical comedy. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, that, that opening scene, I've watched probably like a hundred times. Okay, you right. have to remind me soon. Okay, yeah, no. I'm going to remind you. No, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, well, well, for everyone else, though, where he's training and it's showing him, you know, trying to walk across the sticky paper and swinging the, the thing around his neck and picking up the hot steaming water. And spilling it and so spilling that all the other ninjas got <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so amazing to me. You know, when we started it, it's kind of like now talking about 20 years later, whatever it is. Is it mm-hmm. 20? Yeah, 20. 1997. So, yeah, yeah, a little 21. Um, even ninjas was like an unknown thing at the time. Like nobody had this, like new. Now it's everywhere because yeah. every, so much of um, Asian um, cartoons and manga and stuff is just in our culture constantly now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, we actually had to educate executives on what that was. What a ninja was. What a ninja was, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so we, uh, we, as a matter of fact, when we closed the deal on making this movie, we bought all the executives ninja swords. Oh, really? Yeah. And we explained to them what it was. And they, and they tried to bring them through airport security like Haru. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that scene. <laughs> yeah. It's classic. It's classic, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I could just go through and want to quote the whole movie, but... That won't be well, good. thank you. Yeah. But, um, what I appreciate is when I see online that people 
are doing mashups of Beverly Hills Ninja and Kung Fu Panda. Oh, interesting. And saying how there are actual mashups about how Beverly Hills Ninja, which came before Kung Fu Panda, created this and Kung Fu uh, this way. He's riding on that way. And then Kung Fu Panda sort of imitated it yeah. in an animation world with a. I mean, they were brilliant to, to turn yeah. Chris Farley into a panda. chubby panda. Jack Black plays him, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, I. Well, I put it this way. You don't get any the box on office that? of Ninja was not bad, but it was not Kung Fu Kung Panda. Panda. Yeah. I wished I'd also come up with that idea. But the cartoon version. Yeah. Did you write Beverly Hills Ninja for Chris Farley? Um, no, actually. Not in its original bunch of drafts. Mm-hmm. I don't know, 10 drafts or yeah. whatever. It was written for Dana Carvey. Okay. And uh, But at some point, that didn't work out. I mean, we worked with him a little bit. We did readings with him, and it didn't work out. And um, and in some ways, when we first started writing the script, Chris Farley just didn't really exist as a comedian. Okay. It went that many years earlier. Okay, yeah. From, but then he was famous, and uh, we rewrote the script for him. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, because that was, I mean, what, uh, Dana Carvey was kind of leaving SNL, and Chris Farley was coming to SNL, well, I think of... the issue with Dana was that um, everyone knew that he did this Asian guy on SNL mm-hmm. that sold chickens but didn't really want to give them away because he loved them. Or okay. Anything. It was a funny bit. And he did this voice and everybody liked it. And um, it was, I mean, all right, just as a sort of insider comment, Yeah. Um, that was a great voice. It was hysterical. But... If you're doing a reading of a script that's a you know hundred minutes long, that voice gets a little tiring. Oh, okay. And um, when Farley did it, he didn't really try to put on any kind of voice. He he went with the sort of lilt that we created based on the way the words were juxtaposed. Yeah. And sort of a Yoda-ish kind of uh, vibe. And um, he, um, you know, he just we wrote it to be rhythmic in a way. Sure. And so it was, um, he followed it and it worked out very nicely. Yeah. Cause he kind of, he, he plays it very vulnerable almost and kind of like a child, very, very childlike. childlike very yeah. childlike. Well, he's lost. He's yeah. a lost child. <laughs> he's a lost child. He didn't belong in Asia. Yeah. You know? did, uh, how did, how did you come up with the idea for Beverly Hills Ninja? Actually, it came up in a meeting, mm-hmm. um, with executives at United Artists. Okay. Um, that script was owned by numerous studios, so it came up um, in um, in a meeting, and then um, they had the title. That's what it was. They just had the title Beverly Hills Ninja. Okay. And they said, "Can you make a movie with that title?" Interesting. And so we just we created what we created, and um, then the executives kept changing hands, and the, with it, the project moved with certain executives to their new studios and it kept moving around town. I think it was owned by like five different companies. And then finally, um, it settled at TriStar with Farley. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you wrote that with uh, your writing partner? Mark Feldberg. Mark Feldberg, okay. And you also worked on uh, Disorderlies with him too, right? Yes, that was like, well, it wasn't 10 years before we originally wrote Beverly Hills Ninja, but in terms of movie release time, there was a 10-year year gap between the two. How important do you think it is to like find a really good writing partner? Worked very well for me. He and yeah. I were very different, and we complemented each other. 
And um, it's always good. You know, we used to have this thing saying between us that if um, one of us thought something was funny, maybe it was funny. Mm-hmm. If both of us thought it was funny, there was a good chance it was funny. Okay. And then if a third person thought it was, then it was pretty sure it was funny. It, it was good to have someone buy to yeah. vet, vet so right away, Especially we writing were, comedies, I would yeah. think. Even, even more so than... Yeah. No, it know. was all about whether I could make him laugh or he could make me laugh. Yeah. So you're saying you were you were physicalizing a lot of things. Would you be would you both be at? Uh, I mean, it wasn't maybe a computer at this time. It was a were you writing? No, what, we had computers. You were writing Beverly Hills Ninja on a computer. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, um, yes and no. I yeah. mean, uh, not always. We also used um, we also hand wrote some of it, mm-hmm. but um, we also had a habit of going away to sort of get our head clear mm-hmm. and to another city and or to another some kind of resorty kind of place and then. Just work for two weeks so we weren't interrupted by anything. Like by regular life stuff. Yes. Yeah. And would, would you certainly two... on the first fifty pages that was important for us. Okay. And when you when you two would work, would you both be writing, or would one be kind of running through stuff, and the other would be writing down ideas that the other is kind of spewing, or did, was it? Yeah, I was a pacer. Was I, a pacer. Okay. I like to sort of. I was always sort of improvisational, mm-hmm. and you know, walking around pacing just saying stuff and some of it would stick and Mark would write it down and but Mark also Mark was a little bit more methodical he liked to work internally more and you know work out the sort of mathematics of the the joke okay yeah I mean, you know what I mean by yeah that. I don't know it was funny. yeah kind of the just yeah the, well the, he was also like that in terms of plotting like you know the typical thing that we deal with with every script if this happens then this happens mm-hmm. and this happens and this happens but if this happens then this doesn't happen then this happens and this happens and he could roll all those scenarios through his head constantly and um from a plotting perspective from a humor perspective i don't know he was interesting it was like he had more of a mathematical mind and i had more of a kind of um improvisational more loose, of the idea mind. idea mind well also just in terms of Running two sides of dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, out. She said, the, you know, just, you know, just what any improv person would do. Yeah. But, but with a specific goal, scene goal, or idea in mind. Yeah. I mean, not to say that he and I didn't improv off each other, too. We did a lot. But generally, that's kind of how it, yeah. the, the flow went. Yeah. You know, I read uh, that Christian Bale said Beverly Hills Ninja was one of his, it was his favorite movie. Yeah, Did you, you I was, seen I was that? very proud of that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm like, you, you, know, have, like you have to know that. super serious yeah. actor said that my movie was one of his favorites and his kid's favorite. Yeah. And that he and his kid watch, kids watched it all the time. Oh, oh! Did I find that? Yeah, I found yeah, that. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> I found that. I put it on my website. Okay, nice. I told my wife about it. That should be on the new DVD. Like you know, they have like like the yeah, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, like what I haven't done, and Christian, I hope you're listening to this, is I have not called Christian and said, "Come on, Christian, it's time to do a comedy." Yeah, bring him on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd be great at it. I'm sure he would. Well, yeah. you know, in um the movie with um uh, the housing market crash. He wasn't a comedic actor in that, but he it was. He had a slight, a slight comedic yeah. way about him. Yeah, and it was Adam McKay who was yeah. obviously comedic director. Yeah, he's great. I mean, yeah. he's pretty great in everything. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, I also read that uh, would Chris Farley at one point say he wasn't going to do it unless uh, Chris Rock was also a part of the movie. Was that is that a real fact? Not one that I'm, I'm aware of. Okay, actually, I mean, I I was not privy to that. I mean, I had. Her, I mean that it was Chris Rock coming on was 
different from my perspective. Okay. Because the character was originally a Japanese guy. Oh, interesting. That was that, that he was teaching the karate way, like ninja. What it was to... is that Chris was a fish out of water. Yeah. A white guy in in Asia. Oh, okay. And then he comes to America, and he is relatives. Because it wasn't a bellhop, he had a relative oh. who lived here, and his relative was an Asian guy in a white society. Interesting. Okay. However, yeah. from a demographic viewpoint, I suppose was the first thought, and the fact that they could get Chris Rock interested mm-hmm. is that we rewrote that. Okay, so you wrote that for that. <laughs> that wasn't written that way to begin Interesting. with. Interesting. No. It was there was much more um, sort of cross cultural Asia America. Uh, jokes in it and then uh, we went for a different joke well there's still the the joke which i love which uh chris farley keeps putting his shoes outside the hotel yeah, he's taking the them off and the janitor keeps <laughs> sweeping them into the garbage yeah. yeah that's amazing so there was even more jokes like, that, like, was, like, like that. that guy who swept them in was yeah. played by the director's dad oh was it really yeah <laughs> uh the director Den- dennis dennis dugan. Uh, dennis dugan yeah who's done like every adam sandler movie yeah he's oh. done very well yeah <laughs> And he he had he had just directed uh, Happy Gilmore before Beverly Hills Ninja. Right. Did Happy Gilmore come out when Beverly Hills Ninja was shooting? Did Happy Gilmore come out when Beverly Hills Ninja was shooting? I don't remember Gilmore, when Happy yeah. Gilmore came out. It might have come out the same year, maybe close to. Yeah, you know, I'm a little lost on that. Yeah. You know, so um, I mean, I vaguely have some memories of when it came out mm-hmm. and um, going to see it with my kids, but I don't remember whether it was during the shoot. Okay. Yeah. Do you um? Did you get to know Chris Farley? Yeah. A lot during during the shooting. Yeah. I mean, at first it was a little intimidating. Yeah. Well, because I mean, there's a whole history of this movie being rewritten in various forms, and um, sometimes by me, sometimes by me and Mark, and sometimes mm-hmm. by other people, and um, so when I they had just gone after they had sort of got the new deal of this movie going. They had um, gotten somebody else to rewrite it. And it was a point of contention that goes into a bunch of contractual issues that we won't go into yeah, well, at this moment unless you do a podcast on wanting to do like really contracts. strange contractual moments and how writers can be um, both unhappy and then victorious. Because <laughs> <laughs> this was a really good story for okay. me. So, but anyway, the point was that didn't work out with that writer. And then I got a call suddenly from a bunch of executives with Farley on the phone said, of saying, oh, we're sorry, you know, come, you know, let's do it. But when we went to like reorient the pitch and talk to everybody, Chris had the old script, the new script, both in his head. And it was, mm-hmm. we were talking about going back to the original script because that was kind of what we were told. Mm-hmm. And um, so we weren't trying to integrate um, any of the new ideas that went into it. And that confused him and it freaked him out. And he didn't even know like what he was, what movie we were what talking about making, for a moment yeah. and kind of like left. <laughs> and that was pretty intimidating for a moment. Mm-hmm. But then we sort of re-geared the whole thing the next day and explained things a little bit better with better references to where everything was going, not assuming that everyone knew what part of the original draft we were talking about and blah, blah, blah. And we did a much better job of the pitch and it all worked out great. Okay, nice. Yeah, it was, um, and Chris was great to work with and he was explosively 
I mean, you obviously know how explosively funny he is, mm -hmm. but it's even more crazy when you're across the couch from him and all of a sudden he hears something that gets him excited and then he starts riffing on it and he's like, he's, he gets up and that giant amount of ball of energy yeah. is like right on top of him. <laughs> and he's doing stuff that's just blowing you away. Yeah. And it's really, really exciting. And during the, um, during the shoot, um, you know, I was there a lot. My partner was not there that much. I came a lot, um, kind of defensively, so that if something had needed to be rewritten, somebody else didn't do it. Yeah, they were there for it. I was it. worried, you know, um, that it would go awry. And, um, and Chris would always kind of ask me, he had ideas about the script. Mm -hmm. There were things about it that he particularly related to that were just not even about the comedy parts, but about the father son brother relationships in it okay and i remember there was one time he like pitched me this um change for the in the ending and it made perfect sense to me i don't know if i cared that much about it but i cared enough about it to relay it to the director on his behalf mm -hmm. i guess he felt that i was a better better for him to go through me to, to do that. So I pitched it to the director and he looked at me like deadpan. He said, Mitch, it's about a fat guy in a ninja suit. That's it. <laughs> He's like, we're not kidding. We don't need to do more with these relationships. <laughs> His father, son stuff. It's fine. Oh, wow. And <laughs> did you sugarcoat it a little bit when you re relayed that message back to Chris? I mean, I think Chris had been through it with him yeah. and, and kind of knew that he was skeptical okay. of things. And um, I mean, maybe I caught him at the wrong moment, too, because I don't I'm not trying. I don't want to say that Dennis was uh, difficult or any way to work with. He mm -hmm. was very easy to work with. And um, he um, he always liked to hear good ideas, especially ideas that made him laugh. Yeah. And he was more focused on the laugh than on the. Connecting yeah, family yeah. story parts. Yeah, the connecting story part. Even yeah. though to a lot of people who have said to me over time, they kind of related to that brother bond. I mean, if For, I was... To protect your younger brother, basically. Yes. Bond, yeah. yeah. And all, but also, I mean, if I really dig deep into what the setup of that movie was, mm -hmm. it was kind of like a conversation between a son and his father even though the guy was a sensei and he was a ninja mm -hmm. where the, and this was the hook that everybody got hooked on, which is like, you know, dad, I think I'm going to be a ninja, you know, or something like that. And he goes, you know, couldn't you be an accountant? Wouldn't it be better if you went to med school? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it, was, it was like exactly the kind of conversation that both Mark and I had with our parents sure, yeah. about being writers. And then it was the exact same. And, and, what made it fresh on the page? Because if you if it had been like a Jewish son and Jewish father, mm -hmm. um, it would have been like, oh, I've seen that a million times. Yeah. But the fact that they were, you know, ninja and sensei, all of a sudden that made it funny that yeah. they were having the same conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, and the fact that that, that Chris Farley's character is so not apt to be a good ninja. You know, at the end. At the he's end. Very apt. Yeah, he's very yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. gross. He finds his own way of doing it. Yes, through mistakes, through, through, dis through, through destruction, through destruction. <laughs> master, as they came up with the catchphrase, "Master of Disaster." Disaster, disaster. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just made me think of the uh, that hibachi scene. It's probably one of the funniest scenes I think in any movie. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, when you is... do flying food and, and breasts. <laughs> what do you have it's like, with the it's... shrimp? My brother yeah. and I used to not be able to breathe during yeah. that season. How old were you? I mean, I must have been 10 years old. Yeah. Well, because it's so taboo also. Yeah. It's, it's not just what – it's not the way you'd see it as a 25-year-old not or quite. a 30-year-old. But, but, but my uh, another friend of mine watched it when we were like, I think, like in eighth or ninth grade. And we had a, the same experience where we could not breathe yeah. throughout like the whole movie. Yeah. Well, but, you know, an eighth grade boy, you're still yeah. adolescent. <laughs> he's still – it is. You know? The boobs are still funny. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. You can say that. I can say that. Uh yeah, the, that yeah, that Hibachi scene is so funny. So, um Yeah, and then before Bella's Ninja, you were also writer on a Disney show called The Jersey. No, it was after. It way was after, way, way after. after. Oh, sorry, yeah. Because it was Wait, I should say in between. Yeah. That in between I wrote the first four drafts of Ocean's 11. That's a surprising oh, fact yeah, I that, that very few people know. Yeah, let, let's let's hear <laughs> and it. And they don't need to know. Yeah. But um, yeah, we were the first ones to pitch it and to get it going. It was a completely different take. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's maybe a couple of things in it that I'm not even saying they took them from the draft. I don't even know if they ever read the draft, but there were some similarities. Um Ours was about, well, first of all, the premise of ours, which is still good to, if you're a Warner Brothers executive and you're listening, it's still a very solid idea, which is about the, the premise was the guys from Animal House, 15, 20 years later, are running the Las Vegas Liquor and Beverage Company, and the guys from Delta House are running the casino. Yeah, funny. And these guys get into an altercation. I think over a quarter. Yeah. Over a slot machine, losing a quarter in a slot machine that um, gets them into a big feud and the company gets sort of destroyed because they were the main supplier of the for liquor and of the of the casino. Okay. And um, the idiots decide the best way to get back at them is to rip off the casino. Oh wow. And so, but the way they did it, which has some similarities to the ending of um, the final movie, Mm -hmm. which is that they infiltrated the bomb squad and they um, got into the casino by calling in a bomb scare. Oh, wow. And then they were in the casino by themselves with the bomb. Oh, okay. And then they could find a way to take out the money and, and then walk out with a hot bomb that nobody would even look at. Yeah. It's a, and that's what Ocean's Eleven, the one that's out, that's how they got out of the, the vault, right? They called in. In the first one? Yeah. Yeah, they, the SWAT, they, it was, the SWAT it was team, a SWAT right? team and idea. Yeah, they're the that SWAT team. That was kind of similar. Similar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was, and it was completely different in some ways and, and similar because ours, that happens like 30 minutes into the movie. Okay. It's not just the ending. It's like the whole movie, they're inside the casino trying to figure out as things go wrong, how to get out okay. properly. And yeah. how, did, how did that go from... Uh, your draft to the draft that eventually got made? Well, I don't really know the details of that because, the, you know, Did like... Did you sell the, the script? Of, oh, yeah. We Yo. wrote it for hire. We were okay. paid by Warner Brothers to write that script. Okay. And then I think that... Um, I think it languished for a while and then they tried a new version with a bunch of different writers and a new version with a bunch of different writers. And I think then... Um, Soderbergh got involved, and then they did a whole, you know, their own. I Holy mean, damn. thing. And um, so I don't know all the elements of it. There might have been a time where, 
Like I think Oz Oz was timed with a like a fight night, like a big um, prize fight okay. that was going on in town. So there was a lot of issues around that that fed into what was going on inside the casino. So I do think they they did an, a version that was um, just all about the fight, mm-hmm. you know, and and the ripoff, but kind of interwoven in a very different way interesting and and i think there were 20 versions yeah. that they did over the years because it wasn't until five or six years later that i think they started moving forward with the, the movie because yeah. it didn't come out i think until like eight years after we wrote the first draft it's like 2001 two, i don't know yeah yeah 2000 i think it yeah. was and we wrote ours in 92 okay looking looking back on that as a writer would was would there be a way you would uh, approach like that contract differently or no that just, that's, that's just the way what, it is that's just the way it is yeah I mean I used to say as a joke I've never had a job I wasn't fired from but um, the <laughs> but that's not really the way it works yeah. what really works is that there's a lot of jobs you just get rewritten mm-hmm. and especially with movies that are shooting for to be bigger movies they're not like personal movies the kind of indie stuff that comes out of Sundance and things like that these are movies that you know they kind of know they're going to bring in other writers on yeah and um, I mean, I wish that wasn't true on various projects, and um, I felt I had more to add or something like that. But um, the uh, that happened a lot, and it's just the nature of getting paid pretty decently. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah, at least that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they do that, though. I mean, do you think it? Um, I, I feel like a lot of big movies, you can feel that it's not all written by one writer. And maybe it would have, you know, benefit them if they did stay with one writer throughout. Or what? What, what do you think? It's almost they, not ever the case. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I don't know what's exactly happening at the moment, but I mean, yeah, it's like smaller independent movies where they there's they have one writer maybe through to see it to the end. But you think all big studio movies? They Most. Bring I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but mm-hmm. almost always there's a bit of insecurity or a director comes in later. Well, let me just say, first and foremost, the director comes in. Mm-hmm. Director's going to have their draft. And they, a lot of times, want to bring in their own writers. Okay. So that happens. And then there's always that crunch time right before the train is leaving the station when everybody's flurrying around to either add more jokes or do whatever fixes that somebody feels the script needs. And a lot of times that's done by a different group. So it just, it just adds on top of each other. And yeah. I mean, it happened on Ninja, in the set, but in the end, I got to finish it. You got, I, was the last, you. I was the last man standing yeah. with Mark. With Mark, But yeah. Mark didn't, you know, yeah, with us, both together. So writers never get, you know, like a producer will get like a, or a director will get a final cut. A writer will never get a, a anything of that sort. I've never had that deal. <laughs> yeah. Is there, Maybe there is, is there someone. such a deal? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've never Maybe heard not. of it. Because the director will get on set and start changing things maybe or actor will ad lib. Yeah, but I'm not even talking about that. Yeah. I'm just talking about actual, actual official drafts sure. that are done, you know, by contract with new writers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always going to be a certain amount of changes that take place for logistical reasons or a new idea comes up or there's some improvisation. There's some movies that are... A lot of it's improvisation. Yeah. But Beverly Hills Ninja was not that much improvisation. Okay, yeah. A lot of it was, was story. And certainly Disorderlies was not that much um, um, improvisation yeah. either. And that was with the Fat Boys. The Fat Boys. Yeah. That's so funny to me. Cause yeah. I, yeah. The Fat Boys Did you ever see this are movie? back. 
I have not seen Disorder. Oh, you should see I it. Need to see it yeah. If you still got a piece of that adolescence left, yeah, in oh, you, it's there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was my thing. Okay, yeah. You know, I think we sold like thirty something scripts in our lifetime, and most of them dealt with adolescent humor. <laughs> okay, nice. Few that, didn't. Few didn't. Few, few were more grown up. <laughs> but the majority. And now I, I, I write less adolescent humor stuff. Yeah. Also, because the market's changed, there's not much of a market for it. No, right. not like it was then. Yeah, '90s comedies. Yeah, I mean there was a real business in development, where we were hired constantly to write things and uh, do adaptations of things. But um, now um, I, there's just a shortage of those movies being made, so there's less Definitely. development. And I think the attitude towards development has changed also. There's just a, a more of an expectation of um, people writing specs, but it's hard to um, you know if they're adapting and. An, intellectual property like a tv show whatever they pretty much have to do it as development mm -hmm. but we got to sell our own ideas a lot too we were back then there wasn't as much emphasis on adapting books yeah. and adapting the tv shows the original it started happening like mid-career for us mm -hmm. but we wrote we sold many original ideas because now to go the jersey was adapted by from a, a book series right yeah Mon monday it was. Night, monday night uh yeah, football series. I wasn't there at the beginning. Okay, I came on in the middle of the first season, and then went through the seat, the rest. I think we did sixty episodes. Okay, something yeah. like that. And uh, it was the first time I had done um, a long stint on a television show, and I did that without my writing partner, who at that point left the business and was on his way towards becoming um, the CEO of a hedge fund. Oh, wow. Told you, math. Math, yeah. Math, like, humor. Like, why am I doing this? And now it's like now I'm making real money. Yeah. And if I asked him to invest in a movie, he'd say, I would never invest in a movie. <laughs> Bad investment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes, uh, you know, unless you guarantee me from some other studio that there's a 20% return, yeah. forget about it. Funny. Now, writing for TV has got to be a lot different than writing uh, your own feature films. Well, you're living with one set of characters for a very long time. Mm hmm and so that is both, you know, there's a lot of security built into that yeah. from a career perspective. And then there's also uh, sameness built in from the creative perspective. Yeah. And um, it was a tricky idea. It was about a magic football jersey. It was actually tied in to um, Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a deal with the NFL and so the way this show was structured, because it was about a kid puts on the jersey and then he body switches into a professional athlete. So every episode had a professional athlete in it. And the way it was shot was about um, 60 or 70 percent kids. And the 30 percent was shot on the day that the athlete was available. OK, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it was so kind of fun. I, I still I still remember the uh, Steve Young doing no one can see it right now, but he does this like it's when one of the kids is like infinity arm. He becomes thing? Steve Young, and he yeah, and he scores the touchdown, and he does this yeah. this like kid dance. Yeah. yeah, some some of the athletes were really up for acting, acting childlike. Yeah, or they weren't really children. They were, I mean they were children, but they were thirteen. Thirteen, sure. They weren't um, eight like yeah, they weren't really little, but um, and some less so. You know, yeah. some like is like, what am I doing here? I thought I was doing Arliss this week. <laughs> Instead, oh, they booked me on this too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did Did you get to meet a lot of the athletes when you were? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. 
Yeah, I, I have a fairly weak memory for it, but um, <laughs> the yeah, I mean, um, let's see, uh, David Cohn from um, the Mets. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of football players. We did X uh, um, sports, you know, kind of stuff, and okay, yeah, yeah, X games, X game sports, and um, so okay, I'm trying to remember the names. Tony right. Hawk, maybe. Um, Skateboarder. I, yeah, we did Tony Hawk. Yeah. And we did uh, the BMX bike guy. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's somewhere in my head, but I'm yeah. not. And we did Kelly Slater surfing. Oh, okay, yeah. And at some point, it became very difficult to um, book these guys. And our schedule's moving, moving, and then people are canceling. So we kept owing days. And and uh, sometimes athletes would cancel at the last minute. We had to rewrite the show. Yeah. I remember write, rewriting a basketball show. Um for Michelle into ice skating and figure skating for Michelle Kwan okay. like overnight. Really? <laughs> it was like, she, oh, it was a basketball show. Well, now it's an uh, ice skating she, show. Oh, wow. She, she was able to do it. She was available. Yeah. So we had to just go with it. It's crazy. And so it, yeah, that, that is writing too. I mean, sure, in, in TV writing, the, the, the turnaround is a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you're dealing with schedules of people that are really um, have very hard to connect yeah. with at times. Some people took that very seriously. Some people didn't take it so seriously, mm-hmm. so they would cancel. It's like a fun thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it was a pain in the butt. So they would like, <laughs> the, they, they, they go, like I it. can't make it. I have a headache or yeah. whatever they did. And, or they didn't want to fly to LA because, I mean, a lot of times it was true that the same athletes that were on our list, which was more fun for them probably because it was R-rated. Mm-hmm. It was more like the way they were yeah. as people. And then, but they would do our show too. Okay, so they would, so eventually it got so hard that I started writing sports shows that didn't have professional athletes, like um, Acapulco's uh, cliff diving. Yeah. Okay. Where a kid would end up like you, we would use footage. Yeah. And we would, would we would just um, do visual effects to put them in. Like I remember doing a bullfighting show. Where a kid got thrown into yeah, a bullfighter, and um, those were kind of fun because they were a respite from having to book these guys. To put a recognizable face. Yeah, yeah so I'm sure. So well, like, those weren't recognizable. Yeah, those faces. weren't. Yeah, so it was easy to. So I'm sure. So I so saw you're saying. I guess there's like there was like a group of athletes that were like checked off to to want to do TV and media stuff. I, I am certain that now it's totally different. This was like around the 2002, yeah. 2003. I think the feeling of athletes being media stars was not quite the same back then. And some okay. of them were like more not reluctant to do it. Some were gung-ho and liked the idea of getting their profile out there. But I don't think that was – that wasn't the way it is now. Now everyone wants They all want Yeah, it. everybody's yeah. got some kind of media profile. Sure. I mean, I don't know if that's really true, but it feels it seems like, like it, at least yeah. with Instagram and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Um, I'm sure you're working on a lot. That's not. I'm working on a lot yeah. of different things in a lot of different arenas. Okay. I just um, uh, recently pitched a faith-based movie, which is very surprising. But there um, is a desire to be comedic, you know, to have funny, to go m- more humor into faith-based movies. Okay. That's but nice. and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of my frequent collaborators, Lucas Grebeel, who was on um, one of the main actors in High School Musical mm-hmm. movies, um, he and I collaborated on a action figure pilot. Okay. You know, I remember seeing a, 
a piece of that. I yeah, think. that was like many years ago. Yeah. We did sort of this little clip. Now we've turned it into a whole pilot. Okay, cool. And um, it's pretty racy. So it goes into a whole very different direction than a lot of action figure stuff. Okay, cool. Almost, almost in the, the sphere of like uh, Team America. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yes, it's in that realm, though it's not um, stop motion the okay. way that is. It's actually just hand held under the Oh, okay. Under, you can see it's it. a little bit. Well, we don't always let you see it. We yeah. might let you see it a, a couple of times. It's called Step Spies. It's a spy story. Okay. It's pretty raunchy. And um, so, sounds good for uh, Adult Swim. Yeah, we'll be we'll be we're just finishing it up right now okay. and taking it out on the market. We okay, did it funny. ourselves without a, without a studio involved. Yeah. So maybe okay. you'll, maybe you'll see a hundred of them coming your way soon. <laughs> okay, I hope so. Is it, is it is it your hand? No. Oh, okay. No. I mean, I it might be if in one some of them situation. Might be. Okay. It might be. Okay, but cool. actually, I don't want to even. Say, I mean, it turned out the shoot was pretty technical. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, um, it's actually more time consuming than working with real people. <laughs> and there's uh, 150 visual effects. In, in the pilot. In the pilot. Wow. Which is not for a big deal for most, you know, a regular, but for an action figure show where you shoot a lot of it on green screen, you are either building sets or you're faking sets. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So that's a lot of I mean, work. it takes place in Belgium. Okay. Interesting. You know, it takes in... Brussels in a garage with a picture of Belgium. Okay, <laughs> thrown into the background off the of green screen. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of funny. It's funny. I mean, just the fact that it's action figures and it's actually kind of interestingly designed. Yeah, it's it's, well, it's, it's cool, kind of, because like you know, I, mean, I used to play with a ton of action figures, and when you're playing with them and your hands are there, they don't get in the way of of really the story that you're creating. No, we have shots though where we went, we bothered to move like a, uh, an action figure into this, like a restaurant scene. Okay. And then have somebody grab it under the table from the other side to keep moving it forward. Okay. But just to get one long moving shot. Okay, nice. And so we've, uh, you know, we've, we've played with it. It's actually, when you're shooting it, it's fun to do that stuff. Yeah. To try that challenge of handing it off, making the shots more complicated. Yeah, did you did you shoot this at your house? Lucas's house. Lucas's house. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, and we're still waiting on the visual effects. It's taking okay, a while. Okay, so to yeah, do. I've seen most of them. We have yeah. this um, sequence with um, skeletons where people through X-ray, our modern X-ray glasses that a spy would have. Yeah, turns people to skeletons. Okay, so. We're um, we're still working out the visual effects. So that's the that. visual effects, yeah. Yeah. yeah Plus, it's also a sex scene with the skeleton. Okay, yeah, it's above your pay grade. <laughs> we had we had to bring in an expert. Yeah, bring on expert. skeleton sex. <laughs> on the skeleton sex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was under his LinkedIn resume. If what he could yeah. do, that's funny. Yeah. You could find that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is search. Just search. There's, all, there's <laughs> yeah. only one guy in town who does it. It's yeah. easy. Oh, believe it or not, there's fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> So any, uh, what would be your main advice to yourself if you were to give advice to yourself as a writer when you were 25? The landscape is really different now, so it yeah. may have changed uh-huh. because, um, but everybody always was surprised when I told them how I broke into the business, which was through the script I wrote. Um, well, I wrote a script in New York before I ever moved out here. 
When did you move I, out here? In the early, mid-80s. How old were you? Uh, I got The first movie was made when I was 30. Okay. And um, so I wrote it maybe when I was 28, mm-hmm. 29. Um, and it was a, like a, that, it was the Fat Boys movie, the Disorderly. And it was like a slapstick you know, movie. It's not what people expect to be like a break-in Movie. Like to get, especially the way we broke in, because we delivered this script, and then we got six movie deals, wow. all within a month, and we were booked for two years, two to three years afterwards. Wow! That script, it was like the silly comedy. It was not that much different than anything else. It may be like what people say is like ten percent different, ten mm-hmm. percent unique. And that was, so if you're asking me about advice, that was like the old school advice, which is, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel completely. Interesting. Just reinvent it 10%. 10% differently. Yes. Have some, I mean, with Ninja, the freshness, it doesn't seem that way at the time, but then was Ninja's had was fresh. Yeah. And sort of our kind of old school comedy dialogue worked well with these new kind of characters. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was our ten percent. Ten percent. Because in some ways, otherwise, it's just a story about a guy who's in a shipwreck who gets himself back together again, grows up, and tries to come home. Yeah, <laughs> I like the te- I like the ten percent thing. Is yeah, that you write it too, you know, out of field, and no one can connect with it. Yeah. If you kind of base it in what everyone, the models that everyone knows, but just. I mean, I can't tell you that I understand the zeitgeist of. The inside film business. Yeah. Like, when you're inside the film business more, like I was then, or mm-hmm. um, then it's a little bit easier because um, you, you're, the executives are kind of your age and similar, and or they, the exec, older executives believe the younger executives and like their taste. Yeah. And so more connected to the audience, and so you get a sense of what um, is trending. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a trendy business. So you're, is, yeah. you're sort of taking ideas and then you're twisting them 10% with something that feels a little bit trendy coming in. Interesting. I guess. Yeah, 10% of trendy and your your take on it. Yeah. I guess. I mean, that they love, you know, they want to, they don't want to hear a repeat of something they've heard before. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to a certain extent. They want to, they want you to have your own voice. Mm-hmm. And even in a movie as silly as Disorderlies or as silly as uh, Better Little Ninja, there's a voice. Definitely. And uh, that's what, that's all they really care about. If your voice is unique, I mean, that's one of the problems I say to people about um, following sort of um, the books on how to write a screenplay. Like Save the Cat or... Save the Cat yeah. or um, what is the other one, the original one? Story, Robert McKee. See, you're already like a half a generation... I'm already calling it further back. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, I don't know. Um, oh, it starts with an F, but I forgot. It was the, actually the three-act structure that every executive got. Compared to everything, too. Blazing into their brain. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the grooves of their brain. If, if you diverted from that structure, it was very difficult to get people on board. But ultimately, you had to divert from that structure. Sure. Because everyone uh, became too climatized, so to speak, to that structure. Yeah. So everything seemed the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You could have changed all the details, but if, if you ain't nailing that three act structure exactly the way you, it was expected, it's shit. It, 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 yeah. It, it <laughs> didn't feel fresh. Yeah. 
You had to twist it up. And then that's why movies like um, Scripps um, Tutorials, like Save the Cat, came out. Because it's a little different. A little bit different, yeah. A little bit different than the original 3X structure. But then the, I yeah. thought it was way overcomplicated. Well, and, it, it's, it, it's like every five pages it gives you a new yeah, where I, you have I to be. You know. I mean, I'm sure that works for some people, but if they need that. You see, I always believe if you're like a natural screenwriter, mm-hmm. you envision the movie. You're, if, if you already have all the history of all these movies already downloaded into your brain, and you know how a movie works, yeah, it's part of you. And then, then it's just, you know it, and you're just naturally going to create a good structure for it. Yeah. I mean, that's if you've done all your homework and seen a million movies and, you know, and if you get lost, I suppose you can go, if somebody starts to complain that you're, you've derivated a little too much and you can't quite grasp what you're doing, then maybe it's worth looking back on those teachers. On those teachers, yeah. But they worry me. I never really used them and we sold many, many scripts. Yeah. I feel like they can really be used as a procrastination tool. Kind of like I, I really want to write a screenplay, but first I got to read all these well, books. But there's all right. That's you know, true too, and there's a lot of fear involved in it too. Because yeah. even if you're not reading, yeah, you fear that you're fucking up. Yeah. Or screwing up, depending on where you come from. <laughs> Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and you know it's terrible to be constantly second guessing yourself. Yeah. There comes a point where you have to just sort of let that other brain that's questioning you go. Mm-hmm. And and then you have to raise it. <laughs> well, it's like what uh, it's just like what what Hemingway said, which is write drunk, edit sober. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the concept. same concept. Just yeah. get it out there. Yeah. And then go with the red pen. Yeah, we were never up for the. I know a lot of people, friends, like, oh yeah, I got you know, it's like psilocybin and, and then wrote and mushrooms and worked on this for two days. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Here it is. <laughs> like, all right, is it good? It's about two, two days. Yeah. yeah. I went to picture more than once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you really do have to put the time in. Yeah. Ultimately. I mean, if you're brilliant and you, you know, you just are so good that you can bang it out, you know. But the truth is my, um, the creative side of me takes me off in directions that I maybe theoretically should not go in mm-hmm. because they're not. You know, um, direct. Sure. Enough. But sometimes I can work those things in, mm-hmm. and they become really great comedy scenes where we find a way to diversify the structure a little bit more to fit the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, or you go to a certain place and you don't end up using that, but it makes you realize something else. Yeah. You know, you so you know, it's not a waste. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you just go bag it out to the expected beats I mean I'm not saying that I have writer friends who do that and mm-hmm. do very well with that you know and yeah I may spend longer and I may do more drafts but sometimes we get a little bit more pizzazz so to speak sure you know, yeah as a result of going through it yeah some people yeah. might complain that it's too out there and hopefully but usually it's one of those out there ideas or some of the out there ideas in it that people remember Definitely. Any of the movies you really remember and last would probably be described as being out there. Maybe. I never really believed when most people like 
take those structures like Saber Cat or yeah. and redo with another a movie and okay. say that this was exactly Oh, they, they fit that. Yeah, they, they there's a, yeah. I almost never believe that's very true. I mean, there are some that of course do fit. fit. And okay. I think Saber Cat uses a lot of Pixar type movies as examples. Yeah. And they may be perfectly structured. Sure. Yeah. And they may follow that. But I don't know if that's always always true. Yeah. It's um, like a, I mean, I've taught screenwriting and I've used those for some people because I'm also, te- let's say I'm teaching it at a college level or graduate level. At a co- not everyone has that intuitive way of doing it. Yeah. So you, then it is a guide, it is a structure to learn. Yeah. What's well, called, yeah. But there's so many theories out there. Mm-hmm. I went one season just the- teaching a version of it called Polarity. Okay. Which is um, that every scene either ends with an opposite charge. Oh, is that so from where it started? So the scene starts with a positive, ends with a negative. The next scene starts with a positive, ends with a negative. You know, you keep alternating the current, Interesting. so to speak, and that's going to create more excitement. And you never, you never start positive and positive. Then there's no, ar- right. there's no arc in the scene. That's right. So yeah. you're always flipping it. Yeah, okay. And I think that the example I used was... Okay, that's fine. Do you, what do you, what do you think about uh, like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, and if we're writing and that kind of those kind of very natural things. in some kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's gonna fit a romantic comedy. Sure, but maybe fit you know, fit the Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars, those, those kind of movies. Yeah, you know, adventure story. Yeah, for certain, a lot of it does. Mm-hmm. Or you may naturally find yourself, you know, like called to adventure. And you can make those terms fit certain things, but, um, you know, it seems a waste of breath <laughs> to, to call, take a romantic comedy writing and try to make it, and try to explain it through, through that. The, the hero's journey. It almost seems like a way, these things, what you're describing, it seems like a way to just, to, uh, to bring it to academia, but, but the actual art of script writing is just more coming freely from you yeah versus I think so it, it, I mean it's also because screenwriting became more democratized so to speak mm-hmm. and there was a lot more people interested in doing it and there along with that there's a lot more people teaching it and a lot more books explaining it sure there's always and books, yeah. um, you know that helps people who don't know how to get started well, I mean to me how do I get started imitate it yeah you know Raiders of the Lost Ark was like my prototype okay first couple of movies I wrote were exactly Rip off, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. And I like taught myself how to, to do things that way. And then, of course, I shifted structure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I bet you somebody could go through Beverly Hills Ninja and make it the hero's journey. I'm sure they could. They definitely <laughs> can. Well, there's the call to it. There's the call to adventure. Yeah, I don't think I we never thought, thought that. Of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was pretty damn close. I bet you it is. It really does. You know, passing on the first threshold and the. And I'm sure it also fits with. Um, Save uh, the cat. McKee. That's what I was talking yeah. about before. Robert McKee. Robert McKee's yeah. um, structure. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. It, I don't know if it is like Save the Cat. I always found Save the Cat a little bit more intuitive. Yeah, but he compares it to his movies, which are blank check. The, the writer who wrote that. He, he has a couple movies, but... Yeah, I, I met him, actually. Yeah, you know. Um long time ago. I think he passed away. Oh, did he? Maybe he's a really nice guy. Okay, I'm sure. And, but, um, but it, 
the series goes on. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, somehow the the intellectual property of Save the Cat. Oh, it's like a branding it's now. Thing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know they have like a Save the Cat ghost to the movies. It's actually what the book's called, and it does what you're talking about, where it takes that formula and applies it to all these different movies. Yeah. Because so, people want to... You know, want to know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's not true. There's yeah. many movies that I'm sure have been made uh, with that in mind, sure. I guess, and or retrofitted to, be, to say that they fit that. Mm-hmm. But there was a whole school of writing that came out of that, and movies um, uh, were made from it, I'm mm-hmm. sure. You know, just... Did it get? Did it ultimately? Even though they were written that way, did they stay that way? Yeah. I mean, in the rewriting processes, and did the executive that gave notes actually follow the same structure? Yeah. You know, they you know do this. Right? It, or it, that's how we face the structure. Well, who are you gonna? Well, but save the cat. Yeah, but in this on page seventy-two. Save the cat. Yeah. You have to do blah blah blah, and the executive. Yeah, we want to like the main character. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like I remember being in like a literature class and the teacher was diagnosing, you know, why the writer wrote the girl to have a red dress or whatever it was. And a lot of times those things, from the writer's point of view, might have just been they picked to have a red dress, but it's like the academic afterwards that are trying to put meaning to oh. all these different pieces. Oh, I had a lot of that with Beverly Hills. Oh, you did? Yeah, with Mortal Kombat? Haru and Kobe. Yeah. Those names. People Haru Spring, were, right? No, people thought God. it was Hello okay. and Goodbye. Oh, interesting. Well, at least I mean, there may have been others that people thought. But yeah. But really, Haru was um, a massage therapist that <laughs> with my back problems. Oh, that's amazing. Back in those days. Yeah. That's amazing. And they're saying, oh, it means it's like yeah. yin and yang. Yeah, adding all, all these things to it. Wow. I don't remember how Gobe came about, so that's interesting. You know. Gobe, but um, nah, maybe I do that. I don't know. That's fine. It could have been really nonsense. Yeah, I mean, those syllables sound good. Those sound good. Let's yeah. go with that. Is that actually um, a name? An Asian type sounding name? Yeah. Is it one? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's the '90s, so we can say this. Yeah, we didn't go looking through like an Asian. I do this now though. Sure. But yeah. what are what are people naming their babies today? Yeah. You know? Oh, Google makes it a little easier now. Yeah. That's yeah. why. Yeah, it's exactly. What I can do is go to the library. Yeah. How you gonna find that in the book? Sense. Yeah. Go into the periodicals. Yeah. Who, who wrote an article about what's trending? What's trending? What names? Baby yeah. names. Chloe. Matthew. <laughs> Matthew. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, I really like the uh, the ten percent advice. Yeah, that's good. That, that's good. Think, I'm trying to think now. I mean, I'm my main project at this moment. Well, I have two main projects at the moment other than my Sunday issue. One is a comedy. Um, if anybody is listening and wants to get involved in that, especially if you're a comic book person, um, it's about um, kind of a low-level reporter for a magazine, online magazine, who convinces the city to live in. That she's the alter ego of, ego of the local superhero. Oh, okay. That's um, funny. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny. It ends yeah. up being sort of like, so it's a female superhero movie with a female 
alter ego, obviously. It was like, it was really the antagonist? It was really, well, actually, they end up bonding. Okay. Even though she's the actual superhero is really mad at her for taking her identity and saying that to people and claim, and says she's willing to prove to everybody it's not true. But it becomes so locked into people that her original way of setting this up worked. Wow. That even when the superhero says it's not me, if that's not true, nobody believes her. Yeah. Because they think she's just protecting her identity. Wow. That's so, funny. that's good in like the post truth era we're in right yeah, now. Yeah, it's kind of like in that. Yeah. It's it, there's a lot of news stuff that it's really like CNN type reporting that creates the fallacy. And the like Fox is saying it's true, the other yeah, people are saying it's not true. There's a little bit of that yeah. going on. And then eventually they decide to bond and work together okay. by the end of the pilot. That's good. Even though there's still there's a guy in between them. Okay. <laughs> that they both like. That's funny because yeah, you could almost think that could always happen in, in these superhero movies. Someone could just say, "Oh no, it's me." Yeah, the problem yeah. I've run into is a, is this problem with um, intellectual property is that it's very hard to set up new uh, stories like that that aren't based on Marvel or DC. A real a real character, yeah. Yeah, a real fake character. Yeah, a real fake character. <laughs> and it's called super fake. Super fake, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah well. So um, it's uh, it's really a uh, pretty fun project. I'll yeah. find out home for it eventually. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, and then I'm also doing a very serious um, drama. Okay. Drama about reincarnation. Is, is that, is that a, it's not pair of... Uh, What's, what's the title of that? Paranormal? Yeah. No, no, that wasn't about anything. Unless you're thinking about something else. I don't know. No, this one is about a, sort of an idea I've had for a long time. Okay. That is basically about um, scientific discovery in the brain of memories of past lives. Okay, cool. So it's about you know what how the world will change when that becomes Okay, I, I remember you researching one point, uh, layers of consciousness. Was this for this? Could have been. Yeah, I but I do a lot of stuff that's brain But yeah, I remember oriented. looking at like eight layers or the nine passive layers of consciousness. Oh, or? no, that was about something different. Okay. And I have, that was me looking for, I don't I think it was. I'm trying to remember, but yeah, it, it turns out, and even though I write silly comedy sometimes, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that I write also has issues of brain function in it whether it's memory delusion you know and i did end up doing re some research about those things that so there's a sense of truth to it so um that's true of this reincarnation project i'm not saying i believe in it i'd like to believe in it mm -hmm. okay i think it's pro possible um if we brought a scientist in here the way i explained it they might call it into question okay yeah <laughs> but it, it's based on on pieces of facts pieces of facts, facts yeah. yeah pieces of facts i mean that's what the beauty of it is that it's a brain is like relatively unknown yeah it's crazy right so nobody really knows it's also got a biblical connection because um it's based on the idea that the adam and eve and the banishment from the tree of knowledge mm -hmm. and all that is reincarnation oh, okay that what the big secret that we all don't know about existence is re that we're being reincarnated. Yeah. So it's based upon that too. Okay, cool. Yeah. That sounds but it mostly it takes place in the 
you know, in some 10 year from now world, five yeah. year now world in which there's a literally like we did like a new app, a new medical discovery, all this different stuff with robotics and things happens every day. Well, this is no different than that. It's just another um, search for something that has a side effect of finding out this exists. Okay. And then is once it exists, how does it get exploited mm -hmm. in the real world? Sure. Yeah. So that's really what it's it cool. focuses I, I, on. I like near future movies. Yeah, the, I do too. I love yeah. them. Because yeah, they don't have to, no flying cars. It's just like it, it's like the world we live in, but there's just a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been compared to things like Minority Report and because okay. it is a it is a action. It ends up being both a legal show, a relationship show, and a and it has action elements because there are things from the past lives that come back and. That not come back in a magical way. If you died, if you're 25 years old and you died 25 years ago, mm -hmm. if you then learn what happened around your death 25 years ago, uh, there's a good chance that some of those people are still around. Oh, wow. That's kind of trippy. Yeah. Yeah. So you know something based on those memories you've experienced that other people don't know, but if they found out, could have some meaning. Could yeah. be threatening, could be not threatening. So and that, yeah. There's where it starts getting exploited. And... Yeah. All right. I'm hard. Okay. We're getting into the weeds. Okay. There's good. On this good. idea and forgot the microphone was on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. So cool. Well, yeah. I, um, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for any uh, last things you want to say or. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I. No. I was yeah. going to tell. T today happens to be the day that the. The hear Kavanaugh hearings are going on. Oh yeah. So I was about to give a speech yeah. as if I was Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> saying I just absolutely say. did not and then I couldn't I stopped myself. I just couldn't even say the rest of it. Yeah. And so um, yeah, it's a political day. It but every day is a political day. day. Even if you're just being, yeah, well I won't get into it either. Um but <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, go see Beverly Hills Ninja again and laugh. You yeah, can't, you can't. You hurt. I, I mean, I'm sure you don't have to go very far to see it. I'm sure it's either available on Netflix or iTunes for certain. Yeah, definitely, so, yeah, definitely. And it's probably sadly not available. I mean, it might be available on DVD if anybody really wanted to hold a copy. Yeah, but um, definitely is. I have a DVD. Actually, somewhere. you know what? It came out when it came out. No DVDs. Yeah, VHS. VHS. Yeah, didn't exist. I watched it on VHS. A lot of the money that came in was off of VHS because. The movie may have made, it was number one movie, but you can't even look at the dollars of today and back then because I think it made like $40 million and mm -hmm. it was the number one movie. But in, when it came to DVD and all that stuff, it ends up bringing in hundreds to $200 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, deserves it. Well, thanks. Yeah. I'm I, glad that memory, the memory of Haru still lives. It, oh, it and, lives. And the memory of Chris Farley. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very sad. It's very sad, but yeah. it's like that's a... That movie in itself is a great legacy. Yeah, you know it. It's, it it really brings together all his physical comedy in just such a yeah. amazing way, and the sweetness. I yeah. mean, he was really was that family person. Mm -hmm. All right, we're back well, into a whole other thing. All right, well, we'll end on that. But uh, all right, it's a pleasure. Th yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Take. If you enjoyed this episode. Please go to iTunes and give it a good rating and a review. I'd really appreciate it.